0: This is Bloomberg Surveillance. We have this massive disconnect between central banks, the way they see the economy, and the way the markets view central banks. But
1: When we look at that four-month average, we've seen this downward trend in jobless claims for more than a year now.
0: The
2: U.S. Fed is the
3: global central bank of the world, and when we move, maybe that 25 basis points feels like 100 basis
2: points, 1%, on the global scale.
4: Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio.
2: Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance. It's a crisis over edition of Bloomberg Surveillance. Michael McKee and Tom Keane. Futures up 20. Dow futures up 146. Deutsche Bank acts they retire senior quality debt with a number of billion dollars of cold hard cash. Oil advances a dollar fifty. Other good things on the screen. Bloomberg Surveillance and our Forex brief brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2000. 2000- 15 award for the best retail Forex trading platform. Visit IB at IBKR.com slash Forex, IBKR.com slash Forex. We thank Interactive Brokers for a week of support of Bloomberg Um, Surveillance. Yen, 112.92. We had a 113.110 handle. Early in the Asian morning, that was shocking, a much weaker yen over the last 12, 15 hours. Euro was a 113. It pulls back weaker off the Deutsche Bank News. 112 dollars strength, I'm going to call it modest, as shown by DXY. I do want to highlight Mexican peso, which is exceptionally weak over this week, W-E-A-K, over this W-E-E-K. 19 is no laughing matter. To Mr. Carstens, Dr. Carstens, and Mexican authorities, a much weaker Mexican peso. Mike, if that moves further, that's front and center within emerging market debates into February.
3: I am no currency analyst, but I did see a note this morning. Somebody suggesting uh, you might want to pair the Russian ruble and the Mexican peso. Oh, I like that. <laughs> There's a trade. <clears throat>
2: that's that. Uh, I, I'm yeah. <laughs> trying to come up with a. I'm trying to come up with a phrase they use on a trading desk. Mexi. Mexi (laughs) Rusi, Rusi Mexi, something like that. Anyways, there's our forex report to save us with the equity report. I don't know, is it Whiplash Wilson this morning? I mean, what a week!
5: Oh yeah, no question. I mean, you've aged.
2: No, we
5: all age. It's just a question of how we get there. I suppose. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, since you mentioned Deutsche Bank, it's worth noting that stock is up about eight and a half percent in U.S. trading in response to its plans to buy back about 5.4 billion dollars of bonds. You're also seeing gains among Deutsche Bank's U.S. peers, notably J.P. Morgan Chase, up four and a half percent. Chief executive Jamie Dimon bought half a million shares yesterday for 26.6 million dollars person familiar with diamonds thinking said he made the purchase because he sees the stock as cheap. You look at JP Morgan's peers, you see Citigroup up three and a half percent. Bank of America also up about 3.5%, and Wells Fargo 2% higher in early trading. Uh, American International Group, since we're talking financial companies, AIG up 2%. The insurer add $5 billion to a stock buyback program and raised its quarterly dividend by 14% to $0.32 a share. AIG also named hedge fund manager John Paulson and an associate of activist investor Carl Icahn to its board. Uh, You've got energy stocks higher with crude oil rallying up uh, above $28 a barrel earlier today in New York. Exxon Mobil up 1% in early trading. Chevron up 1.5%. ConocoPhillips up 2.5%. Activision Blizzard, dough down 5.5%. The video game makers' fourth-quarter earnings and revenue trailed analysts' average estimates in the Bloomberg survey. Sales of the Skylanders and Guitar Hero games failed to meet Activision's projections. Elsewhere on the earnings front, Interpublic Group up 3%. The advertising agency owners' fourth-quarter earnings and revenue beat estimates. Interpublic said it would buy back as much as $300 million of shares and raise its quarterly dividend by
2: 25%. Anybody down today, or you, you're share. boring me to death. I mean, it's just Anybody way too... Down- you know yeah. there's flowers in her hair.
5: <laughs> you want down? Okay. NetApp's down three and a half percent. The maker of data storage systems cut the equivalent cell <clears throat> from neutral and Atlantic Equities. Zillow Group down Gary some gloom. The real estate website owners' earnings forecast for this year trailed estimates, even though it expects revenue to beat projections. And uh, the direct seller New Skin Enterprises, they're in the uh, nutritional supplements cosmetics game, down
2: twenty. Yeah, I get my Botox but, uh, from them. They're great. Thank you. Uh, what's with the negative waves here, Moriarty? Uh, you know, I don't know. We're up, we're up twenty points. It's just you too can't much. Stand joke prosperity. For me. Let's talk about something where everything's always rosy. Mitch Rochelle uh, has become a most popular guest because he actually brings charts. He even put on Twitter today his preparation color chart of his charts. You could see it out on Twitter at Mitch Rochelle, M-I-T-C-H underscore R-O-S-C-H-E-L-L-E, or look at my feed, and I retweeted it out. Um, There was a philosopher once at Bloomberg that told me once, Tom, never forget, real estate, it eats its young. And right now it's the amount of money – Every month we put towards rents, article after article. Mitch, what you do best is you just show one stupid chart. Here's the an answer, folks. We're I won't all say
6: stupid the wrong way. Either.
2: Atlanta and Jim Paulson's Minneapolis, St. Paul is where we want to move from Los Angeles, Miami, and the zip code surrounding Michael McKee's house.
6: <laughs> because it's a lot more affordable. And that's the big reason. If you graduate from college and you want to start a job or start a career and you find a place to live that's affordable and you can find work, you're going to stay there. And Atlanta is one of those stories. Interestingly enough, if you want a little bit more data, for the next rest of the decade, Atlanta is leading – all cities in terms of net immigration, more people moving right. there than any other city. And
2: what's great about you, you're not like a real estate broker, right? You're not trying to sell me five bedrooms, no. you know, pool. Okay, what's great about you is you actually work for an adult company, PwC, <laughs> which links it to the rest of the story. Are right. businesses going to Atlanta, Minneapolis, San Antonio, Seattle, Austin, because of Metro sales chart?
6: Uh, maybe not because of my chart. They're moving there, and I catch on to it and I stick it into a chart, but uh, there's a herd mentality. So the easy answer to the question is yes, because if it's affordable to live and it's also affordable to do business, companies are going to go there. Uh,
3: but the the dynamic in the United States does seem to have changed a bit. I mean, the whole story was go west, young man. Uh, the economy slows in one place, you pick up and you move and you find a job somewhere else. That doesn't seem to be, the mobility doesn't
6: seem to be there you know something, Mike? I'm finding in some of the research we're doing that this notion that millennials are total vagabonds that will move anywhere and they just have their one suitcase and they go isn't really the case. Are you guys
2: hanging with my children?
6: <laughs> no. Yeah. I know I know my own, but they're, they're young enough to still be tethered to my house. But mm. the fact of the matter is they're stickier than you think, and employers know that. And if you believe the notion that there's a little bit of a skilled labor shortage, employers are going to stick where the people are too. So – Prosperity finds those markets that are affordable to both live and do business.
3: Mm-hmm. Speaking of Tom's children, um, you're almost the ones at, we admit to. Yeah, you almost at that. They're almost at that
6: age um, where they're going to start forming households of their own, shall we say? But by the way, Mike, so statistically, when children move out of the house, that's a household formation. So are you encouraging him to kick his kids out?
3: Well, actually, his kids are his. His kids are out.
6: So they've the, the ones I'm talking about. I mean, there are some who are no, going to no. Through mergers with and acquisitions,
3: we've acquired a set of children, a brace. <laughs> We're going to t- talk about synergies later. But yeah. But uh, you you have some charts here suggesting that uh, we are beginning to see a turn in the very depressed household formation numbers.
6: Yeah. So what's interesting about formations is they're outpacing new supply. So simple supply and demand is we're creating demand by virtue of formations, and that's demand for other rentals or for, for sale buying. And we haven't created supply. As a matter of fact, existing homes are at 35 months supply. That's like the lowest it's ever been, and that's just driving prices up and edging people out. So it's becoming a little bit of a vicious cycle around affordability. And as Tom pointed out, rent affordability is becoming a much bigger issue than buying affordability, but down payment is what,
2: What's your prediction of what happens? I mean, this is insane. Yeah. I mean, you not, not everywhere. I and mean, yeah. good morning across this great nation, but let's take it from Boston – San Jose, Orange County, San. I mean, it's all the places everybody's living. Right. It is it sustainable? I,
6: I don't. I don't believe it's entirely sustainable. And San Francisco is an example. Sorry to the folks getting up early there, but San Francisco is an example of where the new additions to supply there are really in the high end and we're not doing anything to find more affordable places. So San Francisco, people are just going to get priced out of. So where do they move if they're priced out of San Francisco is the question.
2: How long is the commute is the discussion? How
6: far out do they go? San Francisco is a good city from a mass transit perspective, Uh, whether you're in the East Bay or on the other side of the peninsula, but the fact of the matter is uh, Mm -hmm. people are just going to move farther and farther away. And, And the other thing is, as families start, So one of the other things we try to highlight in this research is families are starting, and if they can't afford to be in the city because of price and they want quality education for their kids, they're going to start moving to the suburbs. So we may see a big shift where baby boomers sell their houses to millennials who want to be in the suburbs again.
3: Sounds good. Um, well, there's, we'll talk about more about that in just a moment. I heard an interesting story about that the other day. Um, we're talking with Mitch Rochelle from, uh, the, uh, PWC real estate advisory practice here on, uh, Bloomberg yeah. surveillance.
2: And, and we've uh, got, th- well, well, go, go ahead. ahead, please. No, I was no, just going to note it's that fine, we, we no, have
3: no, uh, economic data on housing coming up next week. So, um, continuing with the idea of whether the U.S. is in good shape or not. First, we're going to check with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines.
7: Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. A humanitarian task force on Syria says a new deal could provide a breakthrough to get aid to civilians in the war-torn country. The head of the Norwegian Refugee Council is leading today's meeting in Geneva on how to carry out an agreement to accelerate and expand deliveries of humanitarian aid to besieged Syrian communities starting next week. Today, the U.S., Russia, and other nations agree to temporarily halt the hostilities in Syria within a week. The World Health Organization says it could be at least another 18 months before there are large-scale trials on a possible Zika vaccine. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has a Hollywood friend backing her open-door policy in the refugee crisis. Actor George Clooney is in Berlin to promote his new movie, and he lent his support to Merkel during a meeting today. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr.
2: Michael Barr, I saw the Clooney headline with Miracle, and I thought it was a government official. No. I didn't put Mr. Clooney together with the chancellor.
7: Mr. Clooney himself.
2: She will do anything to hang out with George Clooney.
3: Bloomberg's uh, Market Driver's Report brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz 4 all-wheel drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer for a test drive today.
4: Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com. The Radio Plus mobile app and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
1: And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are rising with the S&P 500 poised to snap its longest losing streaks in September as crude prices rebounded and data showed retail sales increased for a third month in January. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 19 points. Dow E-mini futures up 141. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 40. The DAX in Germany is up 2.1%. Ten-year Treasury down 10.30 seconds. The yield 1.69%. Yield on the 2 year 0.66%. Nymex crude oil is up 6.4% up a dollar 67. At twenty-seven dollars eighty-eight cents a barrel, Comex gold down nine tenths percent, or eleven dollars thirty cents, to twelve thirty-six thirty an ounce. The euro, $1.1246. $1, dollar twelve forty-six. The yen, one twelve point eight seven. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
2: Karen, uh, thanks so much. A Bloomberg Surveillance this morning, brought to you by CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small. And middle market businesses learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work. And we thank CIT for uh, their uh, support. Michael McKee, um, we've we've made it official. You and I are putting 142% of our income into rent and ownership. We're miserable, but there's a whole other country out there. Help us with Mitchell Rochelle. <laughs>
3: uh, well, at this point, uh, the question becomes, what can the people who are now forming the household, et cetera, what can they afford? Prices have been rising faster than incomes. In 2008, of course, that was a real problem. It doesn't seem to be as much of
6: an issue today, although it just makes it a little bit harder. Right. So the easy answer is the trend we're seeing is existing homes selling 10 times more than new homes. So what's really happening is if you can scrape together that down payment, people are buying fixer-uppers, and the do-it-yourself craze makes sense because if you're fearful, even though prices are going up, if you're fearful that you could somehow lose money in that house, why don't you create equity and value by fixing it up? So that's that's the sort of advice that I have for new couples is buy whatever it is that you can afford, even if it needs a lot of TLC, and fix it up and create value for yourself.
3: The other question about um, prices is uh, what you have to pay to borrow the money. The interesting thing about the Fed raising interest rates in December is that the average uh, 30-year fixed mortgage um, I'm looking at a bank rates version everybody has a different version but they all show the same thing has fallen significantly yeah. since then. Uh, we're about 40 basis points lower since the Fed raised rates. The bank rate quotes a fixed 30-year right now at uh, 3.53%.
6: Right. And well uh, the 10-year hit 150, right? So it's going to keep rates down. The interesting thing is the Fed action and all the media attention around it created a lot of anxiety in, in the minds of home buyers because they assumed that it would translate to the cost of funds going up. So there's a big race to the finish, and we saw a lot of the housing data that came out in January, which was December data, caused the big flurry. Is yeah. it sustainable, though?
2: Mike, I'm looking at, uh, off of Mitch's good research Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Good morning, down in North Carolina. 1329 Caster Lane for 860,000, which Mike and I could do with a rounding error. We can own almost 7,000 square feet, five baths, four beds. There's an English pub in the basement. The only thing Mike and I have in the basement are rats.
3: Does it come, <laughs> okay. Does it come with uh, Carolina Hurricanes tickets?
2: It, I think it does, but you can even watch Denver Broncos football in the west wing of this monstrosity. Is the inequality in our housing the same? Is the inequality in our income? I mean, the G. A graphical difference I don't think I've ever seen.
6: But what's interesting, Tom, is in every market, you can find really, really high-end product and and really, really low-end product. What's interesting is what what's needed in this country is stuff that's affordable. And people aren't Why built... Why
2: can't we manage a policy so Toll Brothers, not to pick on them, but they've got great stuff on Lexington Avenue here can do what you just said.
6: The challenge is the construction costs continue, Tom, to rise, right? So that's one of the big headwinds that the home builders all are finding, which is their construction costs are going up mostly around labor and finding labor. It's not really materials because of where commodity prices are. So the all of the big activity in the housing market is people buying existing homes, as I said earlier, and it's driving the supply down to three and a half months. So there's got to be somebody who's going to jump in and find a Way to create product price similar to existing that remains affordable for the first time Mm -hmm. homebuyer.
3: All right, let's put it uh, into terms that the average investor cowering under his desk this week can understand. How is uh, the housing industry as a component of the U.S. economy?
6: So, the housing industry, in terms of the home builders who are building new homes, they're building at a fraction of the level that they historically had been. The rest of the housing industry are all the folks who make a living in the brokerage business, the banking business, the, the attorneys. It's amazing. If you would have gone to Phoenix before the housing bubble burst and looked at a suburban office building, more than half the tenants in that building were somehow tied to the housing industry. Um, And a lot of those jobs that had been lost because the housing industry was decimated are back. So when you think about the housing, housing industry, Mike, think about all of the other ancillary businesses that are around it. And since we're back to the levels that we were at from an existing home sales perspective and that volume, that's a good story. The thing that we're not back to is the new homes.
2: What's the PWC call on um, GDP? I mean, I know you guys aren't a Wall Street firm trying to make day to day quotes. Does your consultancy have a belief on the nation's economy?
6: It's Well, based upon the research we just did by interviewing CEOs around the world mm-hmm. for our CEO survey, um, there's a lot more pessimism around GDP growth globally than there was a year ago. So our call on GDP would probably yeah. be it not hitting expectations. My
2: research is the PwC Davos Wednesday afternoon kickoff. Has the best hors d'oeuvres. Of the
6: oh, week. real interesting. I'm gonna that's t- my
2: that's my serious. Tell Sam, it's my <laughs> serious major analysis. So we. It's in the basement of the Belvedere Hotel. We win best hors d'oeuvres. You win best, best hors, d'oeuvres. hors d'oeuvres. With uh, Jamie J P Morgan's a, a tie, tie <laughs> vote, but you guys. And it's because it's, it's early in Davos. No one's exhausted when they go to your suite. Is there a particular item that?
6: suits your fancy in the order they
2: have the Swiss lentil soup that they sort of wander by you that's Ooh.
6: exquisite I will yes. I do make sure Sounds that interesting all of the people hear that positive feedback
2: please have important feedback Mr. Rochelle thank you so much with PWC uh, on real estate and really folks this is going to be one of our themes this year is percentage of your income going to rent and home ownership is uh, well it's a I don't know if it's a scandal but it's a fact it is stunning in some of our geographies. Coast to coast, Bloomberg surveillance.
3: The Bloomberg Ski Report is brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit Land Rover at com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover Above and Beyond.
1: Good morning. I'm Cameron Moscow along with Tom Keane and Michael McKee and the opening bell brought to you by SEI. Imagine when cognitive computing shapes the experience you create for your investors. See how SEI's global operating platform can be your catalyst for business intelligence at SEIC.com slash imagine. And stocks are higher at the open. The S&P 500 is up seven tenths percent or 12 points to 1841. Dow Jones industrial average up seven tenths percent or 107 points to 15,700. 75. The NASDAQ is up nine-tenths percent, or 39 points to 4306. Ten-year Treasury, down 10.30 seconds. The yield, 1.69%. Yield on the two-year, 0.66%. NYMEX crude oil, up 7.1%, up $1.85 to $28.06 a barrel. COMEX gold, down 1%, or $12.30 to 1235.40 an ounce. The euro, $1.1243, $1, the yen's at 112 Tom and Mike.
2: Karen, uh, thanks so much. Mike, I want you to bring in our next guest, but I want to say this, folks. It has been an extraordinary week. Uh, Michael McKee and I have a team behind us that pushes, I'm going to say 15, but Mike, to be blunt with technical, it may be 20 people who have made this crazy week going. We've been flabbergasted by the quality of the conversation, the perspective the insight of guests and Mike it's nice to finish strong
3: yes we are indeed finishing strong because uh, the fashionable discussion on Wall Street uh, over the past couple of weeks has been negative interest rates and boy did Janet Young get an earful about that over the last two days and the folks at JP Morgan Chase, Bruce Kasman, and his team have put together um, the ultimate report on negative interest rates. Uh, Bruce, along with Malcolm Barr and David Mackey, noting that you can take uh, negative rates much lower than people think, but there is an open question about how well they work. So welcome uh, Bruce to surveillance, and let's just start with the very basics. the case for negative interest rates. This was always a theory that, yeah, you could maybe do this, but why did it all of a sudden become fashionable?
0: Well, let's even step back a little further and just say this: the case for negative rates and the case for monetary easing right now is that we've had a, a global economy that has slowed. We have financial markets which have have sold off. And if you look back in past experiences, even when those experiences haven't represented an economy going into a recession, usually central banks have come and have provided insurance. Our, our estimates are that in the current environment, particularly looking at what's happened to global industry, uh, you probably should be getting in the developed market economies something like 75, 100 basis points easing. So now the issue is how do you deliver it? And I think we're sitting in a world in which there's concern that the um, ability to continue to buy assets and compress uh, the term structure, the, the ability to continue to use forward guidance in a world in which um, the interest rate profile is already pretty flat, is limited. And that's where we start to get into this issue of, well, why not negative rates? Uh, negative rates have been, I think, questioned because of the existence of currency uh, so that both banks and non-financials can move um, out of negative rate uh, instruments. But I think what Europe has been doing, and now Japan, is experimenting this in ways that shows that um, there are ways to structure a negative weight environment that, to some degree, uh, limits that and therefore allows the policy stance to move significantly into negative territory.
3: Yeah, I mean, the... the, the basic simplification of what you're talking about is if I have to pay you to store my cash, then I'm just going to keep it under the mattress. Exactly. And the banks, I guess, are finding out that isn't necessarily true, at least at the level of rates that they have now, because there are costs to keeping it under your mattress.
0: There are there are large costs, particularly for big institutions. And the other side of this is that central banks are starting to generate schemes where they're realizing the amount of the reserve position of the banking system that you actually have to tax with negative rates to get rates to go low uh, is actually pretty small. So you're, they're creating these tiered systems that are not creating big incentives for central banks uh, for, for banks, excuse me, to change their uh, their structures in a way that would be required to start holding large amounts of cash.
2: Within this is the side debate that negative rates affect institutional behavior but are basically useless until they affect citizen and I might say voter behavior as well. If we drive to the shocking negative rates you model, not predict, but model, if if 0.75 negative becomes negative 2, or negative two point two, whatever that number is, will that filter over into a direct effect on the citizens of a given nation?
0: Well that's I think that's the the, the the key question. And I think there are there are two at least two issues here. One is there's a strong bias, I think both on the part of policymakers and also on the part of banks, not to push yep. uh, retail deposit rates negative. And if you're going to create a structure where wholesale rates go negative and retail doesn't, uh, you create segmentation in the financial system, yep. and it's much <clears throat> more questionable of whether you're going to get the bang for the buck. So I think that's, that's one issue. There's some technical issues around that as well. The second issue, I think, is a, is a more general one, which is uh, as you lower interest rates in the current environment, uh given the um, the frustration with central bank effectiveness up till now are you going to limit the ability that that has to influence expectations uh to affect uh um, behavior with lower interest rates and especially the questions there's always an income effect which goes against uh the positive effects of encouraging people to just save and whether in this environment those income effects actually turn out to be, be- bigger
2: Mike, Mike, what does it say about doing uh, income and substitution effects with Bruce Kasman on a Friday morning? Oh, okay. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> nothing, get better than this. Nothing better than this.
3: <laughs> um, we, we want to get into some specifics in a few minutes. But first, just in general, uh, the, the one fallacy with um, trying to encourage consumers to dissave or um, uh, institutions to make more loans is that you, you can lead a horse to water. Uh, basically, But if people don't want to borrow and don't want to spend for whatever psychological reason, th- uh, they're not going to.
0: I, I think that's – look, I think there's a very basic point here that we don't know how the transmission – is going to work in the current environment and especially pushing significantly into negative territory. However, we have to weigh that against the possibility that if we are in a weak economic environment, we're going to need more stimulus. Mm -hmm. We don't have the hopes that fiscal policy can come in and save the day. And we're weighing the use of negative rates against the use of other unconventional measures, which also are questionable in terms of how far they're going to go. So at one point we're trying to make is if if we do go into a bad economic situation, I think central banks are going to likely experiment, and they're likely to combine a negative rate strategy with further unconventional measures uh, along the lines of what we've seen up till now.
2: Twenty seconds, and we'll come back and talk about this. If they do that, do they do it with stability And can they boost economic growth?
0: I I think my answer is that they can, but I think the bang for the buck would be less than a similar size move in positive rate territory. Thank you.
2: you. That's exactly where we're going to go. Bruce Kasman uh, leads the charge at J.P. Morgan. This has been an extraordinary week centering around J.P. Morgan's landmark research of, I'm going to say, two years ago now. On the terminal value, we will do that next. We'll talk with uh, Michael McKean versus Kasman. Uh, Mike, I, I just think we've got to revisit what the new terminal value is. Somehow I think we're going to hear it's lower. I, don't I think. It's just possible that we would hear that. We're up 106 points, 15,767. The VIX in, as you would expect, some complacency out there after a wild week, 27.26, a negative .88 point move. On the VIX, West Texas, 28-handle, 28 $28.16 a barrel, up almost two big dollars.
3: Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike?
7: Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Former President George W. Bush is setting the campaign trail for his brother, Jeb Bush, ahead of the South Carolina Republican primary. Republican frontrunner Donald Trump says Bush... Bringing in his brother is a desperate move. That
5: didn't work out so good. Now he's bringing in his brother. Uh, I won't say anything. I'm going to save that for after his brother makes a statement because there's plenty to say about what happened, okay?
7: Jeb Bush disagrees with Trump. What Donald Trump says about my brother uh, has no relevance to this. He is popular because he kept us safe. People here are pro-military Pro veterans. My brother served as commander-in-chief, and people respect that. Hillary Clinton is accusing Bernie Sanders of diminishing President Obama's record and shortchanging his leadership. Sanders called that a low blow and has supported the president. The two Democratic presidential candidates sparred for two hours last night in Milwaukee. The World Health Organization says it will be at least 18 months before a Zika virus vaccine will be available for large-scale trials. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. Now, Michael Barr. Mike, Tom?
2: A churn to a better risk on. We've seen that all morning. Again, for those of you just joining the uh, economic financial derby, Deutsche Bank retires senior debt. They will spend a number of billions of dollars to uh, signal liquidity is available. Markets will improve, Dow up 122 points. Stay with us with Bruce Kasman, J.P. Morgan, Bloomberg Surveillance.
3: Bloomberg surveillance brought to you by SCNB, the bank for business. On the move, are you looking for the right banking partner? Go to scnb.com to learn more. Now open in Long Island City. Get your business moving with SCNB.
4: Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com. The Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
1: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Sector, visit sector, SPDRS.com or call 1-866-Sector ETF. Stocks are higher. They're rising with the S&P 500 snapping its longest losing streak since September. As crude prices rebounded and data showed retail sales increased for a third month in January. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 up 0.7% or 13 points to 18.42. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 7 0.7% or 108 points to 15,769. NASDAQs up 0.6% or 24 points to 42.91. 10-year Treasury down 11.30 seconds. The Yield 1.69%. Yield on the two-year, 0.66%. NYMEX crude oil up 6.9% or $1.81 to $2,802 a barrel. COMEX gold down 0.10% or $10.10 to $12.3740 an ounce. The euro, $1.1251. The yen, 112.89. Deutsche Bank saying it plans to offer to buy back about $5.4 billion of bonds in euros and dollars as it seeks to reassure investors that its financial position is solid. And retail sales increased for a third straight month in January, the two Tenth percent increase, matching the previous month's advance that was initially reported as a decline. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
2: And Karen, thanks so much this morning. Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by CBOE RMC. Come to the CBOE Risk Management Conference, February 29th to March 2nd, February 29 to March 2, at the Hyatt Regency Coconut Point, Florida. Register and learn more at C-B-O-E-R-M-C-U-S dot com. That's C-B-O-E-R-M-C-U-S dot com. One of the great things about Harm Harmbandholz of Unicredit is his English has really gotten good. But because it is his German in the English language, Mike, he writes with a bluntness that you don't see in most market economic notes. Quote, There are no signs whatsoever that the growth engine of the U.S. economy is starting to sputter. Quite the contrary. Classic bundles. Consumer spending has shown some impressive momentum at the beginning of the year. You love arm bundles. He is so direct.
3: Yes. (laughs) Bruce Kasman would
2: never write that.
3: Well, Bruce, the number is not too bad today, um, and uh, when you talk about the U.S. economy in just a moment, I do want to go back to the idea of negative rates and how it's affecting other economies, uh, but we have seen them. Uh, they haven't even officially go- gone into effect in Japan, and... Um, I guess the snarky way to put it would be how's that working out for them? Um, You know, you look at the currency and uh, it is going the opposite direction from what they want, suggesting that maybe this isn't the cure-all that central banks would hope it to be.
0: Well, it's certainly not a cure all, and we shouldn't expect it to be one. And 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 I totally agree that the experience in Japan so far has not been one that's been in line with what policymakers would have expected. But I think we have to take the broader, you know, picture here and recognize how turbulent financial markets have been for a lot of reasons here. And also recognize we've been experimenting with the negative rates in Europe for over a year now, and the results there are modestly encouraging. You've been seeing pass through. Uh, You haven't been seeing a a movement of of money into cash in any size. Um, And I think, you know, taking the picture broadly, the jury is still out, but I wouldn't take the Japanese experience of the last couple of weeks as a very strong sign of anything in terms of how this this is going to work.
3: What about in the U.S., though? Uh, One of the things that Fed has been very worried about is uh, we have a very strong and important money market uh, system. And, uh, you know, if you're a business who relies on commercial paper to, you know, maybe make payrolls or to, to pay uh, some of your invoices? How are you going to feel about negative interest rates?
0: Well, I think for sure there's there's issues the Fed is is concerned about. Um, I think in addition, we should recognize Fed policy rates are at plus 0.5 on the deposit rate right now. So there's actually room to maneuver if you need to provide support without even thinking about going negative on on rates. Um, and I think. This is a a very good reason for thinking that if the Fed is going to do this, it's only going to do so in in an environment in which the economy feels like it's under enormous stress going into recession or something uh, like that. Um, So I think those are important issues. There are other technical issues the U.S. has to deal with. But I also think the idea here – is that the Fed? If the economy is really under risk, is going to recognize the money market funds are going to get hurt here, but that's not going to be their primary concern, and they're going to believe this is more of a transitional issue that, you know, requires moving slowly than than it, <coughs> it actually prevents them from going negative.
2: Bruce, one of I know you hang on the radio show here, uh, you know, every minute that we're on all through your morning, <laughs> but within that, one of our themes today has been when did the central bankers witness Draghi's speech in Brussels on Monday? Just begin to say to institutional authorities, we're done. We can't do any more. We'll continue to be responsible. We'll continue to be good citizens. As you say, we'll do a blend of negative rates and the other stuff. But you guys got to finally step up and do something. Are we anywhere near that nirvana?
0: I, I don't think that's nirvana, and I don't think that's the the right thing to do. In fact, we ran that experiment in Japan for 15 years. Fair, fair. It, uh, it was uh, putting Japan on a path, which I think was quite distressing. I mean, at the end of the day, we have limited tools. We have um, problems that we can't coordinate, monetary and fiscal policy. But central banks have mandates, and I think as long as they're not hitting their mandates, they're going to have to look within the, the realm of what's uh, appropriate and legal uh, to try and, and, and create and innovate uh, greater stimulus in monetary conditions. And I think that's the, that's probably the key message here is don't underestimate um, the ability of central banks to innovate and, uh, and do things. Uh, whether they'll be effective or not, I think, as we've talked about, is a big uncertainty.
3: Well, let's talk about whether uh, they might be needed or not, you know, to – At this point, we don't need them, but uh, what is your outlook for the U.S. economy? Uh, Janet Yellen kind of left it, so uh, no matter whether you're a bull or a bear, you you could have it either way.
0: Well, I think um, our outlook is that the economy is being buffeted by some fairly powerful uh, external shocks. We're creating a lot of divergence in sectors. Uh, we do think that the economy can continue to grow here at about a, a 2% or so pace. And and I would agree uh, with what you were talking about a moment ago that today's retail sales report and some other data last Friday's payroll report are consistent with a stronger first quarter than than the previous quarter by a fair amount. Um, but I think, you know, the concern we have is that within divergences, within these powerful shocks, There are imbalances being created in the economy, which do generate some risks. And the big one we're worried about is the profit squeeze on corporates right now. And I'd I'd note that that's not just because of the dollar and not just because of weakness abroad. It's also because of the very poor productivity performance right now. Mm. And our biggest concern is that while we haven't seen the reaction in a negative way yet, that the squeeze on profits could get businesses to turn – uh, more negative here, and then begin to create more downward momentum. It's not our baseline, but it's certainly a risk we think is more elevated right now.
2: Bruce, when so you look at the week, and I, I know it's exceptionally sensitive for you to comment on your good competitors, and I had a chart this morning that showed the the relative performance of, of your shop versus many others in equities. Um, we, we've tested the derivative markets this week. When you deal in your financial economics at J.P. Morgan, Do you have a confidence on what's on the global balance sheet? Are we smarter about what we have on a balance sheet than we were in July of 2007?
0: Well, leaving aside the specifics of J.P. Morgan performance, as we look Mm -hmm. across the landscape for banks, Certainly, I think the situation is is not only a lot better in terms of bank balance sheets, in terms of capital positions, um, but it's also, I think, a situation where banks are not exposed in a a big way, at least not banks in the U.S., to the kinds of um, uh, stress points that are hitting the energy sector and some of the emerging markets that are weak. Uh, It's one of the things that comforts us. There's clearly tightening in financial conditions, but the likelihood that it will spill into funding and the kind of stresses that were... Associated in part with the 2008-9 crisis seems to us a very, a very small probability. There are risks here, and there are significant risks, but that's not one we're particularly concerned about.
3: So, uh, rest of this year, the Fed on hold while we wait to figure this out.
0: I think the Fed's on hold till we resolve the uncertainties. If we're sitting here continuing to feel as uncertain as we are today, the Fed's not moving. But there's, you know, there's an unfortunately elevated chance which we put at about 30 percent that the economy breaks down over the next few months. And, you know, we might then be talking much more seriously about negative mm. interest rates. However, if we don't and we're growing 2 percent, the unemployment rate is tightening and financial conditions uh, stabilize. We still think that it's are going to be tightening in the second half of the year.
2: Well, Bruce Kasman, thank you so much. He leads the shop of economics at J.P. Uh, Morgan. We would point out that one of the joys of speaking with Dr. Kasman is the comments on a probability of an outcome rather than the certitude, which has permeated so much of the debate uh, this week. Michael McKee, final th- I mean, green on the screen, Michael McKee. We're 200 and some points below Dow, 16,000. I guess the gloom of bear market analysis of the last 48 hours is uh, paused,
3: you know, like those cowboy to, movies yeah. where the, where the hero says, my work is done here. And he yeah. gets on his horse and he's I'm not here that. Sunset. No, yeah, uh, but for that. you and I, we're going to leave now. Really? And, you know, uh, are you working leave.
2: Monday? I, I we're not working for, Monday.
3: You know. We're going to, we're going to leave with the Dow up 105 points and the S&P up 12 points oh. and Brent crude up 5%. Uh, West Texas? Uh, up 5%. Um, we've done our job for the day. Yeah, it's my, to...
2: my final tweet is, my final tweet is, crisis over, discuss. Something like that. We need to thank all of our team led by Rachel Worspan uh, worldwide, particularly to John Farrow on an airplane. John Farrow moving from London to New York. That was announced today. Out on Twitter. I'm shocked. I had no idea this was happening, Mike. No, nope. his people. Lock up the women, children, and horses. I know. His people didn't talk to my people. John Farrow, Safe travel. Across the Atlantic, this is Bloomberg Surveillance.